Hello and welcome to the Pretty Serious Bike Racing Podcast, Tour de France Daily Edition. We are in the middle of the Tour de France. It's very exciting. I mean, it's very exciting because it's the Tour de France and that alone makes it exciting, but it's been a particularly exciting Tour de France in my humble opinion. So there's so much to talk about today and I am just thrilled. I'm over the moon to be able to talk with my bike racing analyst extraordinaire co-host, Cosmo Catalano. We did not do a show last week, Cosmo. It's been two weeks since I've I been able to chat with you. Uh, and I'm, it's just I'm, great to see you. How are you? Yeah, good to see you, too. Feeling good. Feeling tired. Glad it's a rest day. But also glad, thrilled even, to be able to talk with you all here. Uh, I'm also thrilled to be joined by a person who has been... Well, we just haven't had him on the on the Pretty Serious show for a little while because he's very busy setting records, riding across his home country, covering the Tour de France as well. Doing actual bike Rotor racing? McLaughlin. Yeah, conspicuous by my absence almost. Definitely. Yeah, you're, you're missed when you're gone, <laughs> for sure. Although, it's nice, to, it's nice for the listeners that they can hear you on any number of other you know, uh, podcasts because you're, mean, just, you're everywhere. So that's great. Geek, geek warning is my, is my true home. Um, and I pop up every now and then placeholders and here on the pretty serious so yeah you're probably I mean, you're just gonna have if if you do like my accent which i can't understand why you might uh you're gonna have to tune into all the podcasts to find out where and when you might hear me i think you're the most ubiquitous of escape collective podcasters mm. you or, or kaylee i mean you're it's like it's a close I'd say kaylee probably takes that yeah. over yeah uh um, well before we continue since i did just mention the escape collective which is the podcast network we are coming to you from. Let me just let me just remind you before we go any further into this podcast that everything we do here in the podcasting world for Escape Collective and over at escapecollective.com, everything is supported by you, our our members. If you are a member already, if you've signed up to support us, we are very grateful for you. And if you're not, we would just hope you could consider becoming one because it supports everything we do. Again, on, on the podcast network, it's it's this show. It's, it's well, Tour de France Daily is is what we're doing all month here. But the rest of the year, it's it's the Pretty Serious Bike Racing Podcast. It's Placeholders. It's Wheel Talk and it's Geek Warning. And then, yeah, everything we do over at EscapeCollective.com. So whether that's tool stories from Day of Rome or news stories, whatever it is that Ian writes, however you classify those. It's all member-funded, and we really just, uh, we hope you'll sign up. You can head on over to escapecollective.com slash join, and uh, yeah, look into it. We hope you will. All right, on with the show. So, it is the rest day at the 2023 Tour de France when we are recording, which means we have seen nine stages of action so far. There's plenty to talk about there. There's also been the Girodone has been going on as well. That just ended. So we've got lots to look back on, to break down uh, in the racing so far, and then we'll look ahead to what's coming up at the next week of the Tour de France as well. Let's just kick it off with the general general conversation, general o- overarching thoughts. This has been, in my opinion, it's the best first week of a Tour de France that I have ever watched. And I mean, that it's not that many tours. To, I'm not that old, but it's enough that I think it's a pretty... It's a pretty strong statement to say that. I don't know how you guys feel. I was I was just going to contrarianly push back on the notion of a best first week. Uh, it doesn't have to be in in competition. There can be multiple good first weeks that were very very strong. But yeah, I agree. This was this was really well done. I think the only part I would take issue with was the racetrack finish. I thought that was silly, and I thought they. Probably could have anticipated some of that silliness and made it a little bit tougher earlier in the day just to give the break, get some break, some reason to do something. Um, I thought I thought everybody, there was a lot of talk about it being sort of a de facto rest day, and I think this is true. They just needed four, five people to decide that they were willing to rest less than everyone else, and it just didn't come together. And then you had kind of a clown show in the finale. But outside of that, I agree. It was really well set up. Lots of opportunities for different riders. But the GC guys always had to be on guard. Just beautiful stuff. I hadn't actually thought about it then until you mentioned it in the run sheet there. But I, th- I think I tend to agree with you. It's certainly one of the 
best opening weeks that uh, springs to mind. I haven't gone back through all the tours that I've watched since uh, 2003, but I, you know, being a fan of time trials, I didn't think I'd be saying that, given that there was no prologue and no team time trail, uh, which are usually, you know, staples of the of the opening week. I I did miss those, but I thought the action that we did get uh, was. Yeah, massively uh, entertaining. Uh, it was exciting to watch the stage on the racing circuit. Aside, we haven't seen as many big crashes and serious injuries and riders out of the tour as a result of that, which we typically do tend to see in the first week. And that was one of the big concerns I had coming into this week, with it starting in Bilbao in the Basque Country on what seemed like it was going to be narrower and and more technical roads. And with the yellow jersey up for grabs at the end of the first stage, I thought that we might see even more sort of riders having to abandon the tour even during the first stage. Uh, and thankfully that didn't transpire. So that can only be a good thing. And what did transpire was actually hugely exciting racing, which you don't tend to get all that often in the first week. Uh, I would think that Richard Carpas, Enric Moss... And Mark Cavendish yes, would disagree with yes. you, but uh, yes. importantly, Tadej Pogacar and and, and, and others also, and that that is a big boon for them. Uh, well, I mean, it's important that all riders are well, safe, true. but yes. um, but I mean, it just doesn't seem like the tour-defining carnage that we've seen in yeah, earlier years. I agree. Happened to the same extent this year. I will say it. It is good that we have two competitive riders at the top of the GC right now. I think. In past years, we've it's it's never just been two at the first rest day, or isn't typically two at the first rest day. Um, so you kind of have a group of people who are looking good, and I I like I kind of miss that little bit of speculation here. I think there will probably be a pretty good battle for the last step of the podium, but maybe if you're if you have to complain about this first week, it was almost too selective. I, I think what has made it exciting, and, and to that point, Cosmo, is the finish of each stage. Has, although we've had Philipson sort of dominate the sprint stages, uh, the finishes always have been sort of edge of your seat stuff. And you, you know, you had the Yates brothers on the first stage. Uh, you've had the the breakaway yesterday in the Puy de Dome. You've had all their sprint stages. You've had the Mads Pedersen stage, and and all of them sort of you know they were genuinely entertaining and exciting to watch. I'm not sure if entertaining is the right word. I don't feel right saying these guys are here to entertain us but i think you know what i mean in that the the stages were uh interesting to watch and there, there was no real snooze fest like we've had in all years well what are they here to do if not to entertain us that's their, that's the point of what they're uh, doing right yeah but i still i don't feel right saying it so um yeah <laughs> all right fair enough fair i guess enough. I, I guess you could say our job is to entertain also um but yeah that's yeah, right I, we're I, here to entertain so cosmo i need you to be more <laughs> sports talk radio all right we come on we had a whole show about that and yeah uh i do think you what you said uh reminded me kaylee said something kaylee fretz said something the other day in in the tdf daily from the ground which is that the interspersal of enough of the sprint stages here and there has probably really helped increase the excitement on the mountain stages because one thing that kind of kills the drama very often in the grand tour is when you put too many really hard stages back to back to back and then riders just kind of wait and particularly the gc riders will just kind of wait and see maybe not go as hard as they otherwise would because they're afraid of you know going into the red too much before a hard stage and I think there's been a really nice, and just to echo what Kaylee said, I think there's just been a really good interspersal of those flatter, you know, quote-unquote easy stages, easy for them, maybe not for us, uh, where it has allowed them to recover some strength and then they go hard the next day in the mountains. Yeah, that, I think it's been a great mix, um, you know, in terms of allowing the riders to go hard one day and, and recover the next, but also just in terms of you're never really getting that huge anticipation and build towards three days in the Pyrenees. Uh, which ultimately usually turns out to be a bit of an anticlimax. Uh, instead, this year we've been getting uh, here's a Pyrenean stage and here's a sprint stage and there's a few more mountains and there's another sprint stage. And yeah, I think that, that has definitely helped. And even the sprint stages that we have had, none of them have been more than 200 kilometers. So that's good. We haven't <laughs> done any like 250k slogs, uh, which is always nice. Uh, all right, so... So far, uh, what are you, what are you, what are your 
what are y'all's, what are the you guys' uh, favorite moments so far? Yuzin's. Yuzin's. What are Yuzin's favorite saying, moments we, so far in this tour? I, I kind of asked you guys to kind of maybe come up with some some favorites so far. So just a couple of other th- talking points. For, for me, I'll, I'll start. For me, I actually really, really enjoyed the the moment uh, a few days into the race when after having lost a significant amount of time to Jonas Vingago on stage five, the very next day, Tadej Pogacar came back and put not as much time, but a, a hefty amount of time into him the very next day. To me, that moment when he, when he dropped Vingago, it, just, it was a moment of, oh, okay, we have a battle on our hands. We got a tour on our hands. And it, I think there was some concern after he lost all that time early that maybe Vingago was, was going to run away with it. And very quickly, it, he bounced back and has since grabbed more time back. And I think just that moment on, on stage six, uh, climbing to Cauteray, that, that uh, Cat 1 finishing climb, when he was able to get clear, I just remember thinking, all right, this is going to be a good tour. We're good. I think, I think that single moment not only helped make everything we just spoke about about the first week being so exciting, but also just ensured that the rest of the tour, uh, well, maybe not the rest of the tour, but at least for the foreseeable future, it's going to be exciting also in that, as you said, it wasn't down to uh, a one-horse race already. Uh, it, there was still some competition there. So I tend to agree with you on that moment. My own personal moment of the tour so far has been Victor the Phase 1 on Stage 2. Um, I of course we have our fantasy league going, and I had picked Pogacar for the stage you just mentioned, Dane, that he went on to win. So I was delighted with that, but I was even more delighted with Victor the Phase stage one because I had also tipped him for that stage. Um, so that I was I was aboard a flight that was slightly delayed, about to take off, uh, heading home from the Tour de France, uh, when the riders were coming into the final kilometer, knowing I had picked Victor the Fay. I, of course, was rooting for him. I'd seen him in the group. And when he attacked with a K to go, you can uh, you can imagine my excitement. And, and bear in mind, I was sitting on the second row of the plane here. Uh, so when he ma- when he made it to the finish line, just about held on for the win, it was all I could do not to jump up and celebrate uh, his win in the middle of a crowded Ryanair flight. I was, I was extremely impressed when you sent me that message to say that you'd picked him. That, that's, a, that's a good pick right there. Uh, yeah. I thought it was fairly obvious, given how good he was the day before. Um, he was good the day before, yeah. but I mean, how many riders are good one day and then terrible the next day, especially if they're not Tere Pogacar or Jonas Vingago, you know. And and as I had said, I think to your colleague Johnny Long the day before, he was, I wouldn't say he was slightly flattered the day before because he was in a good position and the nature of that climb and the nature of the fans on the road made it very, very difficult to move up. Kind of wherever you entered the portion of the claim where the selection was made was kind of where you stayed if you had the legs but that's the key point he had the legs to follow Pogaccia and Jonas Vinico uh, and that sort of told me that I mean it told me that he was a safe pick for the following day and that he, he probably wasn't going to get dropped in that final climb and he was probably going to pick up some points um, and and much like I was thinking with the first day where I'd picked Mike Woods it was like who can I pick here who's going to be strong enough climber not to you know to score some points uh, and might not ultimately go for the win but um so yeah you know i i can't actually i can't profess to have predicted a win i was i was more sort of thinking this guy's going to score some high points today and the the win just topped it all off i mean for Cofidis also like when was the last time, I, I can't remember the last time i seen Cofidis won a stage and they've been uh, they've been hunting for what 15 years i think it was yeah i think it was totally switching back to look bikes uh, especially with the uh, Lavie Claire throwback they have on there now, um, that's to my mind that is really the only thing that changed between the futility and the success. Clearly, the uh, determining factor. I'm really waiting on RKS Samsic to to nab a win with the Bianchi's, and they have not really done much so far, and it's kind of bumming me out. Uh, they had some handlebars a, break. That was cool. Well, okay, that that's <laughs> even worse. Uh, oh well, uh, Cosmo, do you have a favorite moment so far? I hate to like put it right there. I, I'm gonna go to two. I'm gonna do two two moments. One was uh, yesterday on Puy de Dome where we had uh, Vinigo and Pogacar racing very in a way that we didn't expect. I think there's been a lot of in addition to the closeness of their battle. I think there's been a lot of 
them doing atypical things. Uh, when we, we ended up with that small group after Sepp Kuss fell off, I was kind of immediately like, okay, this is just going to devolve into a series of attacks that Vinigo is going to have to chase back. And, you know, probably, you know, Simon Yates or Pidcock will win the stage. And instead we had the punchy explosive guy uh, just go as hard as he possibly could and ride, barely ride Vinigo off his wheel. Uh, it was really fascinating to rewatch that stage and kind of, look at the time gaps at each of those like 100 meter to go paintings on the road because it really fluctuated a lot anywhere between like four and 10 seconds through the last finale. And I can't remember having, especially between these two, such a tight, such a tight battle um, and, and very kind of atypical because you really think of Pogacar, this guy who's going to explode, get bonus points, you know, this finish, if he couldn't get, if he couldn't get 10 seconds, I didn't even think he was really going to contest it because it would be a ton of work to try and to get that that little gap, and you went after it anyway, uh, and that was cool to see. I also thought the the uh, Pedersen stage win was really good, in that we had a team, we had Trek just go to the front and almost do not quite like a Cipollini lead out. It wasn't really that type of finish, but it really took control of the front race for most of the final kilometers, and it wasn't quite a lead out. At the end, they did have to drop uh, Pedersen off and have him figure his own way out to the line. But after the, the clown show on the racetrack, it was nice to see that, like, we're going to do this. We're, we're going to set the terms here. The rest of you can try and figure out a way to win, but we're pretty confident that the mess can finish this off. Um, and that's, you know, something I haven't seen in a little bit. So, When you say clown show, are you referring to the, the entire peloton on the racetrack or specifically Lytle Track's new kit? Uh, no, 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 no. Just see, everybody... <laughs> the, 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 I think... I think there's equal blame to be shared between the promoters and the and the uh, the, the racers on that that, that racetrack finish. Um, but I I actually am kind of a fan of the kits. They really remind me a lot of the old Swatch watches from the 80s and 90s, with a lot of kind of blocked primary colors in a way that is seemingly random but also intentional and artful. Um, I, I'm coming around on them. I really like. Trek Segafredo's old kit. I thought I thought just thought it looked really classy, but the new color. I'm coming around. I've just I've just shared of a photo with you guys of, of the clown suit that the new Trek kit reminds me of. But um, that's probably oh it. that's yes. that's gonna make it hard for me to enjoy it. I don't, actually, you know what? Now that I'm looking at it, I don't mind the color scheme. It's uh, it fits yeah, a little bit better. Why not have some green, orange, yellow, blue, and red versus the clown suit you sent? <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. What about unheralded riders this is a segment that we sometimes do every now and then i feel like the tour de france seems like a pretty good time to do it uh i for one i feel as if for sort of different reasons i feel that both of the yates brothers deserve a little bit more heralding after nine stages of the tour de france so i i'm gonna kick us off by saying that i think first of all adam yates has done a pretty admirable job of being option two option b co-leader i guess uh over at uae i think after nine stages so he's four and a half minutes down which conceivably close enough that should his team really really want to try i don't think they will but it'll be cool if they did uh some sort of jonas Vingago, primas roglic fire off all the attacks and put your rival under pressure like yumbo did uh, to Tata Pogacar last year. I think it's a possibility they'll be able to do it. Now, neither neither Yates' brother has really been able to keep up with the two big favorites of this tour, the, the Pogacar and the, the Vingigo kind of lead group. But both of them have been there, or thereabouts, as the Brits like to say. And I think Adam Yates has been a, a really strong second rider who I'm hoping they will use, and, and he's put himself in position to be used this way uh, as, as part of a two-pronged attack. And then Simon Yates, I feel like, is really flying under the radar because he didn't win a stage the way that Adam did. And if I'm looking at the top 10 here, uh, you know, all due respect to Jai Hindley, uh, I I feel like Simon is maybe my pick to finish on the podium at this point. Uh, Hindley's kind of been going backwards a little bit since his really great stage five. Still, still pretty impressive. Yeah, still uh, very impressive, sure. But, uh, but obviously, he went from winning a stage and wearing the yellow jersey to losing a significant amount of time and only a handful of days to the to the two leaders and i just i don't know i don't know i i, I know we have a lot of australian listeners who are probably going to be 
upset with me for saying this. I don't know that I trust Jai Hindley to hold on all the way uh, through the next two weeks here. Uh, but And I, I do think that Simon Yates may be a little bit um, more likely with the climbs to come. We'll see. Anyway, w- regardless, I think he's been really strong sort of flying under the radar as uh, as, a, as a top 10 contender here. And I think, yeah, both Yates brothers, maybe for different reasons, deserve a little bit more, more heralding. You've, you've already sort of touched on it there, Dane, but I, I was planning to ask you, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and ask you anyway. Do you think Adam Yates has stayed close enough to be, like, will he be happy at four and a half minutes or will the team be happy at four and a half minutes? I would have been thinking that ideally, you know, they're they're probably expecting him to lose some time to the the dynamic duo, but they maybe wanted him to be closer than that just to be a little bit more useful to be able to play that card. Four and a half minutes is... You know, it's the sort of territory where Yumbo don't have to, you know, panic chase, which is probably what UE would be hoping if they're going to play that card. Yeah, point. I don't think I don't think they're going to be happy in terms of him, you know, being close enough to attack on a final climb. But they, he is still in a position where he can attack on a second climb out, and that will, or you know, get try to get into the early breakaway. Which again, that's that's similar to what we saw at the Grand All stage last year from Yumbo, where Roglic was like, I think it was almost three minutes down. And yeah, if Roglic goes on the final climb 500 meters from the line, then who cares? But if you go from a couple of hours out in the stage, that's a whole different story. And I think they still have that card to play if they want to. I don't know that they will. But that that is that is still in play. Yeah, it's not great to be four-plus minutes back, but I think it's enough that he's not going to... Uh, if he gets into a breakaway, that will cause some some consternation with with Yumbo Visma. I think it's also part of it is he's he's playing a dual role, right? He's he's their second GC guy for sure, the co leader bit, but he's also been working to set up. He's also been working to set up Pagachar in a couple of stages uh, this tour, and he's doing I think a pretty good job of that kind of contrary role of work really hard and exhaust yourself for your leader, but also don't lose too much too much time. Uh, you could kind of see him. He'll he'll make a lead, he'll make an attack he'll set up he'll he'll raise the pace Pagacha will go and he'll you'll see Yates in the background like struggling to grab onto Sepkus's wheel um, and he's I think all all things considered he's doing a pretty good job I I can't imagine being the team and being upset with his performance. Does anyone else come to mind as an unheralded fellow uh, that we should herald? I was just gonna say Pidcock. Um, I. I think his performance yesterday was especially good. Um, he may be on that plan of riding himself into this tour. Um, you know, he was he, he was a little bit tough on himself at the finish, <laughs> giving an interview sitting on the grass with a gorgeous view of the whatever region of France that is. But he was like, you know, yeah, I did really well, but who's going to remember the fourth GC group finisher today? Like, I was like, well, I saw you in that group, and I was pretty impressed. Um, I think they're still probably better off working with with Carlos Rodriguez but uh i it was it was after a pretty anonymous tour de suisse it was nice to see him perform pretty well uh with the top contenders on a super tough day yeah i fully believe in pitcock as a gc rider of the future and i was a little disappointed that he didn't make me look smart at the tour de suisse when i had kind of said that so at least he's kind of bounced back to do it here so far hmm i i i don't think he's been at his best in this tour yet but he, yesterday i was uh, I don't want to. I don't want to say even pleasantly surprised because I, w- I wasn't all that surprised to see him in the sort of final selection. But at the same time, it's not really in keeping with the performances we've seen from him throughout the opening week. So in some ways, I was surprised. I'm with you, Dane. I've been calling him as a potential GC contender for at least a year or more now. Uh, first, sort of jokingly um because i didn't really have the confidence to say it that i meant it but uh, i definitely did mean it <laughs> but um yeah i was i was pleasantly surprised to see him uh ride so well yesterday i think he's only going to get better as this tour goes on and i i do think any of us are at this tour very much with uh carlos rodriguez and tom pitcock first tour de france going for gc sort of ambitions and that you know that's Without using the old cliche, let's take it stage by stage. See how these guys, you know, they're still they're still young, first time contending the GC in the tour for both of them. Let's see how far they can they can go. And and of course, Pidcock went to stage. I don't know. He went he went into the second week last year in the top ten in the white jersey, and so um, presumably he was only keeping that warm for Pogaccia, if I remember correctly. But nevertheless, he was wearing the white jersey last year. Um, 
and so I think he'll be looking to go a step further this year and, and possibly take home a, a top 10 overall. Um, given that Cosmo's already said Pitcock, though, and he was my unheralded writer, I'm going to go for, well, not really another unheralded heralded writer, but I think Team UAE have been a little unheralded in that they have actually maybe got a little excited in the first couple of stages where they maybe did too much too soon, but in the mountains... They, they're obviously not there when Pogaccia and Vinigo do their thing and uh, disappear up the road, but they do seem to have strength in numbers. Uh, a couple of times I've, you know, you've seen Pogaccia disappear up the road or Vinigo disappear up the road and UAE have three or four riders in close proximity should should they be needed, should Pogaccia have a bad moment. Uh, and I think that bodes well for the rest of the tour. And the other unheralded, not really so much rider, but the unheralded thing, let's say, from the opening week of the tour was that finish on Puy de Dome yesterday. And not the climb itself, but just the sort of makeshift approach to the podium that they had assembled on top of the climb and the riders lying around on the grass after the finish. And just the kind of stuff that you see at a good old-fashioned bike race and not really the kind of stuff you see at the Tour de France these days. So that was nice change to, to see yesterday. Yeah, I, I think there were a bunch of weird things about that finish. I and mean, we, we've heard a bunch of different people, photographers, journalists, whatever, talking about how unusual it was up there with no fans uh, and, and having mm-hmm. to just experience that finish with really nobody cheering as as the riders reach the line, it, yeah. It was as if somebody had mixed up the camera feed and they had broadcast the Tour de Austria live. Uh, which is also happening at the moment, I think. Uh, because, yeah, there was just no fans in the final, what, three, four kilometers of, of the final climb, uh, which was bizarre for a Tour de France finish. Yeah. All right, one last talking point looking back at the Tour so far. Um, I'm I'm wondering what y- your, your collective opinions, y'all's uses opinions, uh, on something that I think... Uh, I, I'm kind of thinking that Yumbo Visma might have missed their opportunity. Uh, I think there was a day, there was obviously a day, stage five, where Tadej Pogacar was on the back foot. And I think Jumbo Visma probably came into this race uh, knowing that they were going to have to hit Pogacar hard early on this very difficult, uh, in this very difficult first week because he's coming back from a broken wrist and he didn't have the same buildup that he was hoping for. Um, I kind of feel like they didn't put enough time in him on stage five and now, is he ever going to finish behind Vinga Go again? I, I, it seems to me like one minute, the, the minute they put into him or what, you know, whatever it was exactly, wasn't enough. And now, like, you've, you've awakened the giant. You've, you've, you've brought out Tadej Pogacar. He's healthy. He's in form. And, I, yeah, I'm, I'm just wondering, have, did they play the first week right? Did they do everything they could and it just didn't work out? Yeah, what do we think? They did a whole reel on this on Instagram, uh, whereas they, I wouldn't say they they missed their chance, but I think they definitely had an opportunity to gain more time. I think on stage five, the big question mark for me was dropping Wout back out of the out of the front of the race to go pace Vinigo up the climb when Vinigo still had plenty of teammates, including Sepkus. Um, I think they had they had two riders up the road. They didn't really use Benote at all, but you know, I mean, <clears throat> I think I think Vinigo made the right time for his attack like i think if it's do something with benote or attack around the super narrow section with cars and lots of riders getting caught from the breakaway the right thing to do is make that that opportunistic attack i just think he did so much work by himself over the top of that climb descending into the finish nobody worked with him you know wout if wout could make it to the top of that climb to do three turns on the on the flat section. Like that could be fifteen or twenty seconds just because he's wout and he can he can crush himself. And it's way more efficient for him to crush himself on the flat ground versus going up a hill where you know Sepp Kuss can can crush himself going up a hill for for Finigo. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily say they missed a chance. I think they could have done a little better, but all things considered well, they're leading the race. They they haven't lost any time. They look competitive. They've they've definitely been successful getting good riders into breaks to make Yumbo or to make UAE work. They probably can't do that now that they're leading the race. But all all whole, all together, I think they've been doing all right. Yeah, hundred percent agree with you, Cosmo. I think they I think they made the most of the situation that presented itself. Uh, they they made the attack. They they took time on Pagacha. Will that be enough? You know, ultimately the next two weeks will decide. But I think they did the best they could with the situation they had. 
in in this first week. I do also agree though that perhaps they could have used Van Aert better on that on that stage five. And there was a bit of back and forth in one of our WhatsApp groups during that stage. You know, what is White's plan for today's ride? And I was convinced he was there to try and be, uh, I think I said, a locomotive after the climb to to drive Vinigo either in chasing Pogaccia or in you know driving clear of, of Pogaccia. Uh, and ultimately, you know, whether whether it was that because he dropped back, did he have enough? He didn't have enough time to make it over the climb. He thought it would be better to use him earlier. I I don't know, but uh, I do know at one point earlier in that stage, I think Yumbo were on the front and Van Aert was riding in the in the break, and it's like. You know, had Yumbo not ridden in the bunch that time, maybe he would have had the time to to get over that climb. Maybe he could have been a more assistance to Vinigo on the other side of the climb rather than on it. But you know, ultimately they had to take time out of Pogaccia in this first week, and they did. And now it appears that Pogaccia is bouncing back, uh, and it ultimately you know that makes for a pretty exciting next two weeks. I I dare say Pogaccia may have won more bad day in him just given the fact that he hasn't had the preparation and the build-up that he ideally would have would have liked and at this level over the course of three weeks especially when it's these two guys duking it out you got to imagine at some point there's maybe some lack of resilience or whatever in Pogaccia's uh, form or condition right now that that might come back to to haunt him and you know that that's not really anybody's fault that's just the fact that he's recovering from injury and couldn't do the training that he would have ideally liked to do it, I'd assume. Uh, two points. First of all, Ronan, again, we're trying to... This is Sports Talk Radio, all right? So it's totally Pogaccio's <laughs> fault. He shouldn't have crashed. What was he thinking? It's all his fault. Second of uh, all... I thought I, was about to, I thought I was about to get told off for audio problems uh, or something again, but anyway, go on. All right, the, the other thing I was going to say is that we will look ahead to what is coming in the second week in a moment. But first, let's jump over to the Girodone, which finished yesterday. And Abby Mickey with her Wheel Talk segments in the TDF Daily, I think covered things pretty comprehensively. And she has also finished just now uh, a, a look back at the whole race. So we'll have plenty of coverage from Abby on the Giro Dona that you can listen to to get the full comprehensive picture. She had, you know, a bunch of different sources on the ground sending her audio diaries, which was really cool. And yeah, watching the race very closely with her analytical perspective already uh but we should talk about a few takeaways from the giro donate because i think there there were some that we can get pretty serious about the the big over, overarching takeaway i think from the giro donate is anamik van vleuten is back at the perfect time of the year uh i obviously that the tour de france femme has really taken over the the uh important section of the calendar i think a lot of riders and, and van vleuten is obviously one of them really wanting to do well at the tour de france femme Van Vleuten did not have the best spring she's had. Uh, not, not a huge surprise. She's retiring soon. Uh, but she's clearly in good shape ahead of the Tour de France Femme after the Girodone where she just crushed everybody in the general classification. Uh, almost four minutes ahead of runner-up Juliette Labout. Uh, Gaia Riolini was 4.23 back. So there really was no contest in the overall at the Girodone where... And then we can have related one, not, o- not only the general classification, but also the points and the mountains classifications. Uh, she was obviously just on another level at this race and perfect timing with the Tour de France Femme right around the corner. I think it's really going to be a battle between her and Demi Vollering. I agree. She's looked better than she has this year, but I, I question whether this is uh, a performance that indicates how things will go at the Tour de France Femme. Uh, I think Van Vloten really got away with a lot of things at this race that um, would not be possible in a more structured and competitive race environment. I think this race was extremely hard. I think it was raced extremely hard, and that plays really well into her hands. There wasn't a ton of team coordination. Like There were many opportunities to take time on Van Vloten. She crashed herself for no apparent reason other than she wasn't paying attention uh, heading into one of the climbs. She's kind of attacked almost nonsensically uh, with the sole goal of getting another stage win. You know, she put in she put in a 25k time trial to beat uh, to, to to beat Lorena Vibus by 17 seconds. Like that is not GC solid, well thought out GC behavior. Um, granted, it's hard to to 
take too much issue with someone who won a race by so much, but the second places in GC throughout this race had incredibly poor luck. Um, you know, it, one of them crashed out pretty gruesomely. Uh, another one got just solidly dropped on the, the second day. We missed a lot of coverage too. We, like we missed, we missed her uh, Van Vloten's initial uh, attack that got her into the the pink jersey. So we can't really say what happened there. Uh, it's 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 later on the run sheet, but I also think Estee Works came into this less determined to crush everything uh, than they normally do. I think it was more of a trial run in training for them as 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 a squad. I mean, they you know, Vibas dropped out pretty early in the race because she was really just there for training. Um, so I think Van Floten looked great. I think she looked better than she should uh, based on all the other conditions. I think that's a fine point. I mean, the, the field as well was missing the, the other best climber in the world right now, Denny Volering, and so it's hard to say really how she would have stacked up there. We'll see that soon at the Tour de France Femme. Uh, I, we should talk about SD Works because I think coming into this race, every time we've talked about SD Works, my constant refrain on this podcast has been, and, and look, they didn't just do it with Demi Volering, they did it with everybody else. Because Demi Volering, you know, by herself seems capable of of dominant performances, but... So often we've seen this year that SD Works also has other riders, and it's very impressive that all of them are able to, yeah, well, they already have done this at races, divvy up the stage wins amongst themselves, every single one of them getting a stage win and filling out the entire podium. And to me, the big takeaway from this race was, okay, well, well they don't have Demi Vollering in, in a climber-friendly race, you know, in, in a stage race. They're still really good. They still, you know, Glankovash won an impressive stage, and, and yeah, like they've, they did fine. They they were still there, but they were not nearly the dominant squad that we have seen them be when Demi Vollering is leading the way, when they have that, you know, top-tier leader. And, yeah, when Lorena Vibas decides to peace out a little bit early. And, yeah, so in general, I think we did see a slightly more vulnerable SD Works because at the end of the day, Demi Vollering does make a huge difference for this team. Um, but, of course, she'll be there at the Tour de France Femme, so... Who knows whether? Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to see much of a vulnerable team there. I think we're going to see a stronger SD Works there. I was just going to say I, I completely agree. I think Kaylee Kaylee has adopted the phrase "we raced like juniors" from uh, the Pro Peloton earlier this season to indicate that a race is hard and disordered. And I think this race was hard. And I think they raced like juniors, and I think that is Annemiek van Vloten is ready to throw down for any junior race title anytime. Um, and I think if you get a more structured approach to the stage where she can't just ride hard or where there's, where there's going to be penalties for riding hard just for the sake of maybe getting a stage over a sprinter, uh, I, I think I think we'll see Estee Works really like they're because they've been so dominant. I think a lot of people were kind of, were kind of looking in their direction, like watching their kids, seeing what they're up to. And I think. You know, I, I think Neve Fisher Black probably wanted to perform better than she did at this race, but she still. There was a lot of stuff where I feel like in a more structured event she might have performed better. A few attacks she just kind of missed and couldn't catch the wheel. Um, but yeah, I, I you know I think this is all part of the same the same chaotic pasta bowl that is the Giro Donna. Is it's just the things that that have have really defined the season weren't present here for for a variety of reasons, and so. I, I look to a stronger SD Works in, at the tour. Yeah, Edemik van Voigten showing up in, in that environment does seem to be a, a pretty d- difficult to defeat opponent. Fortunately, we won't have long to wait to see her going up against uh, Demi Vollering and anybody else with their eye on the Tour de France Femme. Uh, and, and, and in contrast to maybe uh, a three-week back-to-back you know, uh, run, uh, the Giordone is not short, but I think... I would imagine Van Vleuten still has enough in the tank to go for the Femmes. Uh, it, you know, I think she's going to have some fatigue in the legs, but there's a there's enough of a gap here in between the two, and it's not three weeks. So I'm 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 hopeful that we'll get that battle because I think we've seen at the men's Tour de France that having two, you know, heavy hitters going at it every day is is uh, makes for an entertaining race. All right, let's talk about what's coming up at the Tour de France. Om. We've got a similarly hard week, too. I think generally what you often get at the Tour de France is a very um, staircase-esque uh, um, buildup of tension. 
And this is a different year where the first week was very hard. So it's not like we're going to go from ground floor to a much harder second week. We're just going to stay difficult. Uh, I think that there's there's some sprinter stages in the second week, but overall the actual altitude gain that they're going to be doing is pretty significant. And there are some very hard stages coming up to look forward to. So I think, yeah, I, I'm really, I, I can't wait for the second week to get underway. Uh, we've got coming out of the first rest day, there is going to be a breakaway friendly stage that starts at a theme park. You should listen to Jose Bean's segment on that in uh, yesterday's Tour de France Daily. Going to finish at Isoir after a bunch of up and down all day long. It just looks like a perfect breakaway stage. Uh, but yeah, enough up and down to maybe be a little bit uh, fatigue inducing. The next stage looks very sprinter friendly. Another breakaway day to follow that. And then... The GC guys will really come to the fore uh, because stage 13 climbs the Grand Colombier. There's a interestingly uncategorized, Kelly called it a lump in his stage-by-stage stage guide. I think that's a good word for it. Lump on uh, stage 13 before the Grand Colombier. And then they just go right up the Grand Colombier, which is a very hard climb. I don't think I'm breaking any news there. Uh, 17.4K at 7.1% average grade. It's, it's got some very steep sections, so that should be pretty entertaining. And then there will not be much time to rest after that Bastille Day Stage 13 because Stage 14 then goes up and over, well, a bunch of really hard climbs, uh, culminating with a Cat 1 hard descent into the Col des Juplans, which is an ore category climb, and then a descent to the finish line. So, again, another really hard stage. I, yeah, this... I know we've been talking about Yumbo maybe missing chances. I expect that at some point this week, Yumbo will try to pull something with riders up the road. And um, somebody on Escape Collective, I think it was Dane Cash, wrote a pretty good article about the conventional wisdom that Yumbo is a stronger team than UAE. Um, and I think UAE has, has done a lot of the things you kind of predicted in the article, not being that much noticeably uh, under strength relative to Yumbo. But I think Yumbo's ability to get riders up the road on this this stage, it's also super short, 150 kilometers, lots of climbs. I think that there there will be some GC action here, uh, and I hope uh, Pogacar is ready for it. Uh, first of all, thank you for, you know, giving me the, the, the compliments there. I appreciate that. Um, second of all, I was actually really happy to see UAE do that uh, first couple of days and, 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 you know, seeing Adam Yates get that stage win and get the L jersey, I thought, Hey, that makes me look smart. So I was very pleased with that. Uh, we did talk about how the first week had some sprint stages interspersed. The second week has three really hard mountain stages in a row uh, because the following stage, stage 15, more climbing. Yeah, not going to be an easy one with a, a bunch of climbs, a bunch of up and down all day. And then they finish at Saint-Gervais-Mont-Blanc. The, the name Saint-Gervais-Mont-Blanc, it's a little bit of a misnomer. They don't actually climb the top of Mont Blanc, which is like the tallest mountain in the Alps or, or anything like that, but it's still pretty hard, and it's got a very steep finish. So for three days in a row, riders will be going up and over these very challenging climbs. Uh, hopefully we will get GC action. Hopefully there will not be the you know dreaded, oh, let's, let's keep the powder dry because of the hard stages ahead. Uh, because, yeah, stage 13 finishing on the Colombier, stage 14 finishing with that or category Col de Juplan. And then, yeah, the climb to Saint-Gervais-Mont-Blanc. That's three hard days in a row. And I think we're going to see, first of all, we're definitely going to see some riders crack. I think there are riders in the top 10 who are going to finish like 20 minutes down uh, with, with the pace that, that Sepp Kuss will be setting for Jumbo-Visma. And, yeah, that's, uh, that's what we got before that first rest day. So lots of GC action to come. And before we close it out, I kind of wanted to do my favorite thing, which is ask Cosmo for predictions. Um, I, I also like asking Ronan for predictions. He's quite good at it, as we've just heard on the show. I just know Cosmo doesn't like doing it, so that's why I like asking him. Uh, so at this point of the race, after after one, well, one week, quote-unquote, nine stages of racing, who's going to win the yellow jersey? Uh, I, I I still think it's Pogacar. Cosmo? I picked Pogacar. I can't, I can't change. Cosmo's just going to tell us the rider with the least accumulated time is going to win the yellow jersey. <laughs> no, he, he's, he's on board for the sports talk radio, I think. He's, he's here for this. Uh, yeah, I believe in him. That's, you know, it's going to come down. So Pogacar, he's got the momentum. But I think Vingigo 
He's still in the lead of the race. It's going to come down to whoever wants it more. There. Is oh, there we go. Enough? Whoever Sports wants it more. Classic. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, at what point do you think Willem decides they don't want it anymore? <laughs> Paris. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. The Monday after Paris, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's... Uh, I'm going to really hype the excitement here, but I, I think it's too close to call at the moment. Pogaccia does have the momentum. Uh, Vinigo does have the jersey. But I think we're neither can be anyway confident that they have enough to to really be sure they can take the one at the moment it's 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 just too close to call and i think both are going to have real good days to come both are going to have difficult days to come uh, and that's what hopefully is going to make it so exciting and and, and not to not to uh, contradict what i said or we said earlier but i, I think it's actually Part of the reason this tour has been so exciting is because we are getting the battle we wanted between these two riders. Had one of these two riders not been here, and you look at the gap to the other riders in the top 10, actually this could possibly be one of the least exciting tours ever. So uh, hopefully we see more of that battle in, in the next two weeks. Yeah, I mean, most importantly, I feel like the tour needs both of these riders to stay healthy. They need to stay upright. They need to not get COVID. They need that. That's gonna make or break the entertainment level of the rest of this tour. But yeah, everybody touch wood. Yeah, I got a wooden desk. We're good. Yep. <laughs> All right, maybe a little bit more interesting because I think it's it's there's more to say maybe at this point. What about the polka dots? Uh, I I mean it's 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 a strong bias because the guy wearing polka dots hails from the same country. But I'm loving the the battle of the polka dots that, that Nielsen Palace has given us so far. Uh, so I guess to me the question is, will Nielsen Palace stay in the polka dots all the way through the race? Will somebody else who's been in the breakaways grab it? Or will Tadej Pogacar or Jonas Vingago run away with it in the end? I uh, I think Palace, I've enjoyed his run. Uh, I think he's doing a lot of work for not that many points. I'm pretty sure Felix Gall is going to win it. Asha Dezera has nothing else to live for. Um Nothing else to live for. Not even race. Just live. <laughs> he'll, that he'll is strong. Pro- he'll he will probably win a mountain stage um, somewhere on the tour. Uh, he's he's looks if it's possible better than he looked at Tour de Suisse. He looked really good at Tour de Suisse. Uh, I I think he's really just going to target the big points, the big climbs, and that stage win. And I think that will get him uh, the polka dots. Um, maybe outside of um, outside of a concerted effort for it, though. You've He's kind of been in. He's been in the mix. He's got a day in the jersey so far. But yeah, I. I mean, if he decides, if he decides to to take that jersey competition, I think he will. Uh, I'm I'm with you, Cosmo. I, I have been have spent the first week wondering, is this the best use of Nielsen Paulus? Because he's certainly a rider who could target a stage one, which ultimately, you know, I I, I know. Magnus Court did the same last year, targeted the polka dot early on and still got a stage one later in the race. But, you know, just watching Pilos out there on those opening stages in every break, you know, burning up the legs. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if that is going to equate to uh, KOM jersey at the end of this tour. I think there's just too many points left on the road to, to fight for. And I also think it could end up costing him a stage one later in the race. And... Yeah, for me, it's between Felix Gall and also uh, Mike Woods if he decides to go that direction. I think we've seen how good he was yesterday in that breakaway, won the stage. And, you know, at 20 minutes down in GC, he is going to have the freedom to go in more breaks like that. And presumably with a stage one already in the bank, you know, the pressure's entirely off. He can just, you know, take it as it comes and presumably take a lot of KOM points as it comes. Yeah, a couple of points on that. First of all, just to anybody out there uh, listening who thinks that we're going to just show all kinds of bias towards the North Americans because there's two of us on this call, I just would like to note we've barely talked about Matteo Jorgensen, Nielsen Palace, and Mike Woods, you know, being the, the main protagonists of a, of a very impressive stage. So clearly we are uh, unbiased, neutral observers. Very impressive rides. <laughs> I'd say you're as biased as it gets. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Clearly impressive rides by all of them, by the way. Uh, I think Woods is a really good pick for the Mountain Sturts, just because he showed yesterday that he is extremely strong at this race. He had a, a rougher day earlier on that he attributed to fueling, and he looked really good on the Puy de Dome. Uh, and then the, the other thing is, I, I think I'm, I'm curious to know whether there's a, an impact um, of, of Netflix here. 
where Vauders and company are saying, if we fight for the polka dot the whole race, we are going to get all over Netflix. We're going we're gonna to be on so many episodes as we fight, even if we don't get it. And even if Net- it doesn't Netflixification. come... Netflixification? I mean, is that not what the tour has been all along anyway? It's like, it, it's just we've swapped now from it being the invited French teams who are in the doomed breaks and looking for the, the scraps from the, the yellow jersey table. Uh, and now it's actually... Every team, or at least the ones with Netflix two. cameras. Yes, yeah. every team with Netflix cameras, I should probably say, yeah. who who are not fighting for the yellow jersey. Yep. Uh, all right. Lastly, the points jersey. I'm actually super impressed that Asper Philipson has done so much to to really solidify his lead. Uh, he is a rider who, yeah, he's been really good so far in the points, and I don't really see anybody at this point uh, overhauling him in that classification since Wafanard has not really been going as as hard as he usually has. Jasper has been a disaster for everybody else hoping to win the green jersey. And speaking of the Netflix effect, like when my wife heard that he won, I think it was after he won his first stage, she was delighted for him because she felt that he was hard done by in the Netflix series. Um, so uh, I think I think he's he's got a he's gained a lot of fans totally. following the Unchained. I will say he is probably skating on pretty thin ice with the race jury. They may in fact be looking yes. for a reason to relegate him now. I I don't think he's done anything super terrible but i think he's done enough things where you're kind of like well that they there there may be a, a makeup call against him at some point in the future if he if he leaves that opportunity open it's one of those could hurt his I, points run i feel like nasser buhani like over the years accumulated a lot of bad will so that anytime he would do anything you know relegate him and then other riders who didn't do something bad over the last five days if they if they snuck it up you know an argy bargy here or there they, they they do get to kind of slide that's a good point all right, I feel like we have sufficiently been serious, pretty serious, about the bike racing today. Uh, I hope you listening at home agree. Hopefully you've had a chance to watch what has been a fantastic Tour de France thus far. And fortunately for all of us, we still have lots of racing to come. We still have two weeks on the men's side, and then there's a whole Tour de France femme after that. So we will have all kinds of coverage to come here on the Escape Collective podcast network the tour de france dailies will continue with more insight from the ground tomorrow uh, on on tuesday as the race resumes and there's all kinds of things to look forward to both in the race and here on the podcast network and over at escapecollective.com which you should go check out if you haven't done so yet thanks for listening and cosmo and ronan thanks for the delightful chat and we'll see you guys soon